Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fans, football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hi again, everybody. Mike and Mark with you. So glad you're back. And thanks again, as always, for the reviews and the subscriptions wherever you're getting our podcast. On this episode, we're joined by a true Philadelphia legend. And with more than 50 years in the game, he's a great baseball man. It's Larry Boa. Many of you remember him, as I do, as that fiery Philly shortstop and then later as a manager. But Mark, Larry was and really still is so much more than what we read on the back of his baseball card. Yeah, and you know what? His resume speaks volumes, Mike. Uh, the ultimate grinder had to uh, make himself into uh, a offensive player that could be an all-star, and he did just that. But one of the greatest baseball minds I've ever been around, and you'll hear why, because he's a great storyteller. Larry, as we mentioned, more than 50 years in the game, 16 of them as a player, five-time all-star, your World Series champ. It's a big ask, but we're going to dial you back and ask you to look back at your career and see if you can find what you think is your signature or perhaps most memorable moment. I would say the most memorable moment and had nothing to do with getting to the big leagues. It was getting an opportunity to sign. You know, I went undrafted. Uh, I didn't make my high school baseball team. I got an opportunity to play. I was playing in a summer league and uh, Del Bandy, who was a coach at Sacramento City College, was watching me in the summer. And he said to me, he said, can you come out for the junior college team? I said, coach, I said, I didn't even play high school. I got cut three years in a row. And he says, Believe me, I'm going to give you every opportunity to make this team. And I look back on my career, and if I didn't get that opportunity to go to junior college and play, I probably would have never signed. And I happened to go there. I made the all-conference team two years in a row. And then Eddie Bachman, who is now deceased, but he's the one that he scouted me at junior college, and he uh, texted the Phillies, and he said, hey, I got a kid out here in Sacramento, California, I don't know if he's ever going to play higher than AAA, but worst case scenario, he can be an organization guy for you. In other words, play AA, stay in the organization, be a coach, a manager, whatever. He says he loves baseball. And to make a long story short, Eddie came to scout me the first game. We had double headers. It was a practice double header. And everyone's known, I was known for a bad temper. So Eddie went to scout me. First game of the doubleheader, I got kicked out in the third inning. Second game, I got kicked out in the first inning. And Paul Owens called him and said, hey, how'd that kid Boa do out there? And Eddie said, Pope, I never got to see him play. He said he played <laughs> three innings one game and then one inning in the next. And he went, why are you kidding me? But uh, that, that was sort of the start of my career. Uh, I look back at that. That was important. Of course, my dad, who played AAA, uh, he helped me more than anything about playing baseball. When I got cut from high school, they said, they didn't say you weren't good enough. They said you're too small. And then if it was for my dad, he said, you know what? When you play baseball, it's not about 
size. It's not about how much you weigh. Everybody has a place on the baseball team. And he taught me how to do things, catch the ball, move runners, hit and run, uh, make all the routine plays, hit the cutoff, man. I mean, everything that, that you had to learn, he taught me. And that was, that was basically the, my foundation, how I started out. Bo, interesting, because your mom also played softball, too. I mean, yeah, it, it was in, that, in the blood, but you also have to have that grit. And, and you mentioned you were, you were known for your temper. Anyone that's been around you understands, man, it's, it's no nonsense because that's right. the way you're supposed to play the game. It came from your dad, but also I, you had to have other influences, too, in that grinder mentality. I did. You know, uh, Billy, uh, well, first of all, my first spring training, I had Tony Taylor, Cookie Rojas, Bobby Wine. They were towards the end of their career. They probably helped me more than anything, Swing. They, they, they taught me the fundamentals. They taught me to keep my mouth shut, keep my eyes open, learn when you're at the big league camp. Then Billy DeMars, the hitting instructor. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was an out when I came up. I was an out. I, I learned how to switch hit at AAA. And uh, Billy DeMars said, hey, you can do this. You can do this. And I went from being an out to a tough out uh, in my career. You know, getting over 2,000 hits. People say, what was the greatest thing? Well, obviously, winning the World Series. But over 2,000 hits, when I first came up, I could, in the words of Tommy Lasorda, I couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat. <laughs> And I just stuck to it. I kept grinding and grinding. And of course, some newspaper articles motivated me. This guy will never play in the big leagues. He'd have trouble hitting at Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is the Little League World Series. So I kept all those articles in my locker. And when things went bad, I just pull them out and say, I got to work a little bit harder. I got to work a little bit harder. But I sort of played. And, you know, being with the Dodgers, I played with a chip on my shoulder. I felt like, hey, you know what? Nobody thought I could do this. And I just, like you said, I just kept grinding. And I love to watch guys grind. I, looking back with you, and I, I still say this to this day, the pinch hitting role is the hardest job in baseball. And I used to love watching you get ready to hit, and you did a tremendous job. But guys asked me, is it hard to come off the – I said, I'm glad I played every day because I couldn't have done that. It, yeah. But the fact is, my mentality was, Swing, when I went to spring training, I wanted to play 150-plus games. And looking back on my career, I did that for most of my career – and I only weighed about 155, 160 pounds. So I got, I can honestly tell you, I got the most out of my ability. You know what, Bo, a part of your story, which I think is fascinating, uh, if, if anyone's ever known you, and you, you mentioned it, uh, becoming that switch hitter. In 1979, the story goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you had an opportunity to be in the big leagues as a utility guy. 69. And, in 69, sorry. And they, yeah. sent, you, and they sent you back to yeah. be able to uh, work on your craft as a switch hitter. And you yes. said, you know what? I, I position myself as an everyday player. I don't want to be a utility guy. Speak to that and, and the choice that you had to make. It was Bob Skinner, who was the manager. And I had a pretty good spring, and I was only hitting right-handed. You know, like I said, right-handers could probably get me out by spinning and everything. And Skinner called me in. And he says, hey, Larry, you made the team. He says, well, I'm going to give you an option. He says, I think you can be an everyday player or you can be a utility player. And I, I, told, I called him Skip. I said, Skip. I'm too young. I think I can play every day. I said, let me go down and learn how to switch hit. And he looked at me like I was crazy. You know, the guy's giving you a big league job. And he says, okay, that's great. And I learned swing in triple A. It's like eating right hand and somebody puts something in your left hand and says, okay, now eat. I mean, again, that's amazing. trials and tribulations in triple A, let's face it. There was some, at that time, triple A pitching in those years, mm -hmm. they were pretty good. Yeah. You know, they, didn't, they only had four-man rotations, and, and some of those guys were probably good enough to pitch in the big leagues. 
but the fact that I went down there and I kept going and kept going and kept going. And, and again, then Billy DeMars came into my life. And uh, when I made the big league team and his constant work every single day down the cage, and I can literally tell you during the off season, I hit till my hands bled and Billy said, let's take a day off. I said, no days off. Let's go. Let's go. I tape them up and we could hit and hit and hit. But, you know, I look back on it, Sweeney, and, and there's not one thing that I regret. I wish I could hit more home runs. I never could hit home runs. But <laughs> but, but I, I can I chopped all those those home runs. I chopped them into singles. And, uh, you know, I I really did. I, I can honestly tell you when I sit down and look back at my career, a lot of guys, when they get done, they say, God, I wish I could have done this. I really don't have anything I wish I could have done. I did everything I thought I could do and even more. And I got a great opportunity from the Phillies. But obviously, the greatest moment in my career was the 1980 World Series. That, that's something I will never forget. You know, so many memories, I would imagine, start to blur together after 50-plus years in the, in the league. But when you came back as a regular uh, for opening day, 1970, right. after the grand experiment, we'll call it, right, right? at AAA learning right. to switch yes. in, what do you remember about making that opening day roster and what that feeling it, was like for a 24-year-old? It was, it was at Connie Mack Stadium. It was the last year at Connie Mack Stadium. I remember standing on the lines for the National Anthem. anthem. We were playing the Cubs. Fergie Jenkins was pitching. And when they were playing the anthem, I was sitting there thinking, man, I didn't make high school. I didn't get drafted. I said, this is unbelievable. I'm in the big leagues. And then when I was there, I said, man, if I can stay for a month, that would be great. And then, you know, things started to evolve a little bit. And I said, Hey, maybe I can stay for two months, but I was, I'll give you this. I was very fortunate. My very first year that, uh, uh, Frank Lucchese who managed me in double A and triple A, he knew what I could do. And if we weren't rebuilding in early 70, I'd have been sent out. I was like hitting 170, and it was going into the end of May. And he calls me, he says, Bo, can I talk to you? And I remember lockering, uh, I was ne next to, uh, Darren Johnson. And, and I said, DJ, uh, it was fun playing with you. I, th I think I'm out of here. So I went in the office and I sat down and Frank Lucchese, who was a rookie manager now, he said to me, Bo, you're the shortstop. I don't care if you get a hit the rest of the year. Don't worry about it. Go out and play. Have fun. And I'm saying to myself, if this rookie manager is telling me he doesn't care what I hit, go out, relax and reward this man. And if it wasn't for him and it wasn't for the rebuilding, I wouldn't stay in the big league. And of course, we go back to being at the right place at the right time, having a little bit of luck involved. And all that sort of fell into place for me to enable enable me to play like 16 years in the big leagues. Yeah, I don't think relax is in your game, too. I mean, no, just no, being I around you, it's, it's a different relax than all yes, of us, which yeah, is... It, is it really is. a cool thing. Let's take us back uh, to that uh, momento, uh, your first hit. And what was that? What do you remember about that at bat? Okay. Well, first day I went over four off Fergie. So I took that home with me. I went, wow. I said, I hope big league pitch is not like this. And the next day we faced Kenny Holtzman. And the first time up, I hit a line drive over the shortstop's head. And I remember going down to first base and it was Ernie Banks. He goes, wow. nice hit. Nice hit. And I went, God, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it, it, I was just glad I got it out because you know you know when you start a season off and you go for ten over twelve over fourteen yeah. you're going is there going to be a hit coming out of this? <laughs> but to get that out of the way was important. And uh, you know I remember Chris Short pitched and, and pitched a good game. Jim Bunning was on that team. I had two. Uh, it was a lot of veterans on that 
team pitch wise, pitching wise, but we had a young team and, um, you know, it was just good to get that first hit out of the way so you know, get to, to, get, to get back to, to get back to, uh, the career that I started, I made the team in my first year, I went to Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I was playing uh, class A baseball and I won the starting job. And so we're playing uh, Greenville Mets and the first game uh, in my career, I struck out four straight times. Sweet. My very first time <laughs> away from California and I'm sitting there and Bob Wellman was a manager. He goes, are you okay? And I said, skip. I said, if big league pitchings like this, or if, or I, I didn't say big league. I said, the pitchings like this, I might as well get back on an airplane and go back to Sacramento. And he said, Bo, he says, this guy's going to be something special. And I'm thinking, oh, he's just patting me on the back. Well, it was Nolan Ryan. I struck out four, <laughs> four punch outs. The lights at that time looked like candles. I was hitting right-handed. And he's throwing about, at that time, it looked like 190, snapping <laughs> curveballs, not knowing where it was going. I went, oh, my God, Nolan Ryan. i never forget that. Is that what you guys would call an uncomfortable at bat? Very for me, it was really uncomfortable. <laughs> I always hear Sweeney's reference that with a big league hitter, like, "Oh man, this guy is an uncomfortable at bat." That strikes yeah. me as an uncomfortable at bat. Hey, yeah, let's very. talk about your first, uh, your first of fifteen uh, home runs. Didn't come for a couple of years, but you finally pop one off uh, Dave Roberts uh, with the Houston Astros. You remember it? Yeah, I do remember. I, I do remember. Yeah, I remember all my home runs. I don't remember how many I got. I think I got four or five of those on inside the parkers, you know, it, it, and, you know, cause I could run a little bit. I remember one, we we're playing uh, Cincinnati and the two outfielders, a little bloop fly, they crash and go down the ball rolls to the wall. Uh, no, I remember them all. Uh, the, the biggest one I got though, the one that I remember the most, and it's, it's out there in San Diego. Kenny was a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher. And at Jack Murphy stadium, they didn't have the fences in. They used the wall. And I went over the wall and left center swing. That was a bomb. That's a that bomb. was a bomb for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, Bo, I, I literally just went down to the Murph and, uh, since called the Qualcomm. Uh, they're right. taking it down, which is oh, really are? depressing because of, of all that. And back in the day, as you mentioned, you go to left field. That's the second wall because oh, they yeah. actually had that uh, that other one that that they revised the, exactly. the dynamics. So that's a bomb. I got a lot of good stories about San Diego. I got to I got to give you this one because Dave Dravecki was pitching and Kennedy was catching, and 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 Dravecki had that nasty cutter, and I'm hitting right-handed, and so sure enough, you know I'm looking for a pitch inside. First one's coming in, I think I'm on it, and he shatters the heck out of my bat, and so I flip the bat over there, that boy comes out and gives me another bat. So the next one, another cutter swing, and again two pitches in a row. Now I've got splinters in my hand. <laughs> And, and Kennedy's back there. He's starting. I see. I'm okay. So I got another bat. Swing the third pitch. It wasn't as bad, but but I got jammed. There was a foul ball, and it was a crack in the bat. And you and didn't Kennedy want to say it. Says, Kennedy says, "I think it's broke." I said, "I could care less. I'm swinging." <laughs> These guys in the dugout are cracking up in there. They're flipping bats to me and everything. And I said, "I'm swinging with this. I don't care if there's ten cracks in it, but three pitches in a row." He's jamming the hell out of me, and I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> but that's another great story that I, I tell a lot of the guys. You know, <laughs> this guy just ate me up. Well, you sit there and look at it, Bo. Oh, I, I mean, uh, we've all been in those embarrassing oh. moments. I, I mean, listen, we're not yeah. all uh, – you look down at your bat sometimes and you realize, oh, yeah. man, I, I wish I could scrape that scuff mark off my bat because oh, yeah. that's below the label. 
I mean, I I, we've had plenty of those swings. And Kennedy's laughing. He said, you broke that. And I said, I know I did, but I want to get another one. I've never, I never <laughs> knew like the opposing catcher would go, hey, man, you all right? Well, yeah, he did. <laughs> That's I, I mean, he was just jamming. And I was looking in there. But, that, but in, in all fairness, in the seventh inning, he threw me another one and I hit a home run. And you talk about opening up before he was doing it. I said, come on in here now. And I finally hit one. So <laughs> Way to cheat it. Way to cheat yeah, it, Yeah, I Bo. cheated big time. If he throws anything center away, forget it. Hey, Lair, uh, five-time All-Star in that 16-year run. That's that's yeah. impressive. 74, your first one in Pittsburgh. Um, any of those games stand out to you, mean the most to you? Well, the one that stands out the most, I didn't start it, but I was, I was uh, I, me and Davey Concepcion with the shortstop. It was in Philly in 76, the Bicentennial. And we had myself, uh, Mike Schmidt, Dave Cash, and Greg Lazinski all made the All-Star team in your hometown. And that's something that stands out. But the game that stands out the most was the one in Seattle when Dave Parker, you see it on all the highlight films, threw a seed from right field to throw out a runner at home plate. Gary Carter was a catcher, and I'm going, what a throw that was. You know, just to be in a clubhouse with all the all-stars, yeah, that's another thing. You look around, you go, what am I doing in here? I mean, these guys, these guys were studs. And, uh, you know, you, you, if, if that's another, with, it, with the exception of the winning the World Series, the all-star games, they were something special, believe me. And at that time, they weren't all about exhibition games. You wanted we had mm-hmm. we had the, the the president of the National League come in and say, Hey, we need to win this game. And we went through a stretch in the 70s and early 80s. We won nine in a row. And it was a big deal to win all. Now it's I mean, I'm sure they want to win, but it's more of an exhibition and you know, guys laughing and carrying on. That that wasn't the case back then. Yeah, five uh, all-star games, but also five appearances in uh, the postseason, which I think is your identity, right? I mean, we all want to get to that point. You hopefully have that opportunity. You mentioned uh, the culminating in the World Series in 1980. Unbelievable team, Bo. Uh, You look down that roster, uh, Bob Boone, Pete Rose, as you mentioned, Mike Schmidt, Bake McBride, Gary Maddox. man, Manny uh, Trio. Manny Trio. You could go on and on right. what was that like for you I and mean, just that, basically hey how can i win this game tonight right that that yeah it, it was a team that could beat you with their gloves they could beat you with speed they could beat you with home runs they could beat you with pitching but people for uh, they don't remember how our journey was we played the houston astros in a best of five every game was extra innings and to beat them and beat nolan ryan my buddy nolan i started that inning when he's been ahead he was ahead five to two. And if you look at his stats after the seventh inning, wins and losses, he didn't blow too many. We got to him. We tied the game. Then, they, then we went ahead. They tied us up. But every game went extra innings. And once we went by them, it was almost like somebody lifted something off our shoulder. There was no pressure in the World Series because we had played in the previous ones. We kept playing the Dodgers and the Big Red Machine, and they were great teams. And they just kept beating us, whether it was a pitch, a hit, a play, an umpire's call. And finally, we got there, and I had that was the most fun I've ever had playing in a World Series. Larry, what was the vibe like on that team? Because as an outside fan, which uh, most of us were, it looked like a ton of fun, as Mark had pointed out. Chemistry is often talked about in this game. What was it like for you? It, 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 it was, it, we had a good vibe. And, you know, the, the ironic thing about that is we kept coming up short. And, and not, when I say coming up short, we couldn't get over the hump with those two teams. So, in 79, the Phillies went out and got Pete Rose. 
And I used to love watching Pete Rose, watching the other dugout. And when he came on our team, he was like the icing on the cake. He, he told us, you guys got to believe in yourself. Every time we played you, we were afraid of you guys. And we're looking at each other saying, you were afraid of us. We were petrified of you. But he kept saying, "You guys, we can do it. We can do it. And when he came over there, he just added that extra push that got us over the hump. And uh, again, you know, as, as you well know, it's just like playing in the big league. You, you got to be lucky to win a World Series. You got to get breaks. And, and there comes a point, maybe during the course of the season, you look back on it and you say, it's meant to be. We're, we're going to win this thing. We're going to win this World Series. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, we finally did it. Uh, Bo, uh, number 10. And, and you look at it and uh, that had to have some meaning to you. Uh, why number 10? And, and uh, you, you wore it your whole career. Yeah, I, I think it's just because, Swain, because. I think when I got when I got called up, that was my number, and I just stuck with it because in little league and all that stuff, I wore number three, you know. Mm-hmm. But number ten was was a number that, uh, that I loved it. I stayed with it, and to this day, in fact, I just got back from the complex. I still have number ten, and I told Rio Muto, I said, "Hey, hey, JT, I don't know how many hits are left in that uniform." I said, "I know there's a lot of home runs in there, but I don't know how many hits." And he started laughing, but uh, <laughs> it, it was just something, you know. You know how it is in baseball; you get used to something. And you had a little success with it. You stick with it, and uh, and that's what happened. Hey, Larry, reputation is uh, Philadelphia is a pretty tough town. Tough town to play in. Uh, yeah, overstated, or or is there truth to that? What's your experience being on the field? No, there's big time truth to that. <laughs> I I try to tell guys when you go to Philadelphia, you're going to get booed. I don't care if you're Mike Schmidt. I don't care if you're Steve Carlton. It doesn't matter who you are. Eventually, you're going to get booed. If you go out there and give 100 percent every game. Over the course of 162 games, they're going to be on your side, believe me. And there was one particular doubleheader we were playing against the Cubs. The Cubs were a terrible team when we played them. And we were going for the pennant. It was in 80, and we should have swept them. We did sweep them, but first game we're behind 5-2 to two or something in the ninth. We're getting booed the whole game because you got to beat the Cubs. If you don't beat the Cubs at that particular when, – when they were playing us – you weren't going to win. So we come back and win in the ninth inning. Second game, we're down three to nothing, going in the seventh or eight, booze all over the place. Unbelievable. We come back and win that game. So at the end of the game, of course, a writer comes and says, hey, Bo, what you think of the fans? And this is exactly what I said. I said, the fans that came out tonight are the worst fans I have ever seen. And, of course, the headlines the next day, Boa Rips fans. Now, Swing, you got you got to get yeah. – now, as soon as I put my head out of the dugout, I mean, I'm hearing all the I, – I, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. They're booing the heck out of me. Well, what happened then, I got hot, man. I was getting two hits, three hits. Yep. And it was getting so the, the announcers were saying, all right, now make sure you guys boo Bo tonight because he's on fire. And I used that. I, I used that the whole month of September. They just get boo, boo, and, and I get. I was going off swing. I never, I never got that. I said, I better do something here because they're all over me. And it turned out, you know, I had a good month, and uh, it, it carried over into the World Series. Fans want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor. 
eBay. Whether you're looking for that rare dead stock or the latest release, you'll find the exact shoe you're looking for. You know, as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. You know, with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. You get a team of experienced folks who are gonna verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also gets that authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with that verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Oh, that's priceless. And you have to have thick skin when you're playing there. Oh, I, I, yeah. I, I loved it. I mean, growing up on the East Coast, it's almost like you have to feel it. But you were indoctrinated into all of that stuff. Uh, let's do this, Bo. Um, two-time gold glove. I know your dad punched a lot of fungos right at you and, yeah. and, and hit balls to you. What did that mean for you to gain that first award of two and also that communication you had with your dad when you did receive it, that award? It, 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 was, it meant a lot to me because I, and, and David Concepcion will tell you this right now. He says, oh, you should have won six or seven. But at the time when they gave out gold gloves back then, batting average was big and David was a pretty good hitter and, you know, and he had some home runs and, and, you know, and, but I got two of them and my dad, when I got the first one, he kept saying, you know, he kept, Every year he'd say, you got to win the gold glove, don't you? And I said, I don't know, Dad. I only hit 255 or something. He says, what's that got to do with it? I said, that's how they do it, man. That's mm-hmm. how they do it now. And then when I won it, he was really proud. I mean, I, you know, my dad, he, he, he worked three jobs when, when, we, when I was growing up. And I don't care how tired he was swinging. He had time for me to take me to the park, hit ground balls. And, I, and I, you know, I look back on that. You know, he's no longer with me. But I look back at all the time that he gave me. And teaching me the fundamentals of the game, you know, like you got to be able to lay down a bunt. You, when a guy puts a hit and run, you got to put the ball in play. Just fundamental after fundamental. He says, you're not a big guy. You got to catch the ball, do the little things to help win baseball games. And when I won the first one, he got, in fact, I gave him the first one and uh, he was really excited about that. And, uh, you know, obviously he was there at the World Series too. So that was another great moment when I got to share with him. You know, you talk about the fundamentals, uh, Larry. How has the shortstop position evolved since when you retired after the 1985 season to where it is now? Well, you know, that's, it's funny you mentioned that because we were talking about that today. It's evolved to the point where your shortstops now are not only are great players, they're hitting third and fourth in the lineup. You know, when we played, it was, okay, the corner guys, first, third, right, and, and, and left, they're going to do all the, the damage with the bat. Catcher, short, second, and center, you guys catch the ball. Strength up the middle. Let the guys on the corner do all the pounding with the baseball. And now it's evolved where the shorts up, which are there's a tremendous amount of great shortstops right now. You guys got one there in San Diego. Uh, Story and Lindor and the shortstop for the Cubs. I go on and on. There, there's a ton of them. Uh, but they're they're the, the basically they are the, the meat of the order now. They're they're big. They're strong. They got tremendous arms. They can hit, hit with power. Uh, it's evolved a lot. And I think Ripken really sort of, that story started with him. The big guy moving, uh, playing shortstop, that was sort of unheard of at the time. And he proved to people, hey, you can be big here and play this position. And now you got a bunch of studs playing that position. 
You know what, uh, Bo, uh, is there anyone that sticks out in your mind now? And it's hard to do because there is. There, there's a plethora of, of shortstops. That, that position, to me, is probably the strongest in the game of baseball now. Is there one guy that sticks out that you love to watch play the game? I, I, well, I, the ones I mentioned, I, do, I like them all, but I really like Lindor. I, he just brings a lot to the table. And the kid plays with so much energy. He's always got a smile on his face. Somebody said that to me. God, he's always smiling. I said, you'd smile too if you hit 330 every year. The ball, it's like Tony Gwynn. Tony, <laughs> the ball had to look like a beach ball coming into Tony Gwynn. And I think these guys that hit 330, what's there not to smile about? But he's got great hands. He's smooth. Uh, but but I, can, I can name Story. I can name your guy, uh, Tatis. Uh, there's a lot of them swing, but I like to watch Lindor because he's always under control and he's got a great idea of the strike zone. And I'm anxious to see how he does it with the Mets this year. Even though they're in our division, I think the Mets are going to be a very strong team, especially with, with him at shortstop. I love your perspective on so many things, Bo, but uh, I, I'm going to take you to this because I think it's one of the toughest things I have to deal with because I was fortunate to move around teams <clears throat> and there were a couple shortstops that you mentioned, and I think it's the epitome of the position. One is Ozzie Smith. The other one is Omar Vizquel. Um, To me, if you identify those two guys, because they had to become better offensive players, much like you uh, said about your career. Uh, To you, uh, out of those two, is there a difference in your opinion? I I would say Ozzie because, I mean, Vizquel's great, no question. But Ozzie was like me. He was an out. He was an out when he came up. He learned how to hit, man. And people don't realize how hard it is to learn how to hit. And everybody thinks, swing, if you're a switch hitter, it's going to be easier. But you've got to put just as much time at one side of the plate as the other. You can go 10 games facing all right-handers. And if you neglect to get on the other side of the plate, take your swings, before you know it, you're in a slump on both sides. But I think Ozzy's the acrobatic style that he did – being able to the one playing in San Diego, he's yeah. diving for the ball and it goes to his, his bare hand and he catches it. Uh, my mouth's like, are you serious? I, 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 I got to see that again. And it wasn't like the guy got jammed. He had ball hard yeah. and Ozzy came up with, but both those guys, uh, I, I think Vizquel will get in the hall of fame and Ozzy definitely belongs there. But there's, again, you're talking about little guys. And, you know, when I was growing up watching the, 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 the go-go White Sox with Louis Aparicio and Nelly Fox. That sort of gave me the, the, the determination. These guys are small, man. They got a chance. My dad would say, look at how small they are. Look at Louis Aparicio. He's small. Look at, look at Nelly Fox. Like, yeah, yeah. But, but you, when you see guys like that excel, and then that, that tells you, hey, you can do this. You can do this. And I will tell you right now, Swain, if, if analytics were in the game like they are now, I would have never played. Uh, and and I, 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 I sort of shake my head at it because, I mean, there's good things in analytics, but I think sometimes we go, they're overrated. I, I just, there's too much in, in, information for these kids. Let them go out and play and have fun. Do I like how you position players in that? Yeah, but launch angle and exit velocity. Let me ask you this. Did you need, a, did you need someone to tell you what the exit velocity is when you no. hit a wide drive up the middle? <laughs> nope. You knew. You knew. Nope. And I, I just said, why are we, why are we giving these guys this? They don't want to hit a ball good, but it, it's a new way of life now in the big leagues. And it's a shame because some guys aren't going to get an opportunity because they don't have the exit velocity or the launch angle. And they're pretty good players. So Larry, take us then beyond those analytics and how you personally evaluate a player. You had 
time as a player yourself, uh, coaching and managing in the league, what do you look for? How do you make your determination? The first thing I look for, I want to know if a guy's a winning player. He can go out there and do all those things. Does he know how to win? In the eighth inning, when a guy hits a double, can he move that guy to third base? To me, that's important. Uh, when he when he'd have to make a play with the bases loaded, can he make that play? Does he take his 0 for 4 out in the field and the first ball hit to him, he bobbles it? Can he separate defense from offense? Is he a good team player? Is he a good teammate? Those things you don't measure with analytics. You know, I said that the, the two things you don't measure in analytics is your heart and your brain. And there's a lot of guys that play with a big heart and, and they're very smart and intelligent, but they're being overlooked because of, well, let me see what this guy does. You know, how many times have you seen games, especially now when they put a man on second in the ninth, 10th, I mean, 10th, 11th inning, hit a ball on the right side. You still see guys trying to hit balls in the seats. I just can't believe that. You got a chance to win a game by moving a runner, by hitting a go inside out, hit a ball to the right side. Well, bunting is definitely obsolete. You don't do that anymore. But just, just to know a guy knows how to play winning baseball. A guy that when he's 0 for 10, he's giving you the same effort as if he was 6 for 10. And you can see all that stuff, but analytic people don't realize how important that kind of stuff is. Yeah, I, Bo, I, I love that perspective. And, and I'll tell our listeners a story, which I, I had the fortunate ability as a player. I hit my way out of the game. As you know, Bo, you saw it. Um, I, I, I hit a buck 30 uh, my last year in Los Angeles when you were coaching me. Um, listen, the, the, the want was there. The, the bat speed was not there. Anyway, I move on, and I had the luxury of being on the coaching staff the next year in 2009. Why I say this is that I got to learn the other side of the baseball, how to teach, how to go about what you just talked about, of, of the winning attitude, uh, the ability to be unselfish, so many things. And for our listeners, I want to uh, tell a story because it resonates with me all the time, even doing what we're doing now with, as analysts of baseball. I'm sitting in a meeting. We're in spring training, and the final roster spot is coming. And Joe Torrey's the manager. I'm in the corner, and I'm sitting in the corner just listening and soaking it all up. And Larry Boa is on the table. Everyone's going around with an opinion, and we had choices between two middle infielders. It was the last spot on the roster. And I'm sure you remember this because your recall is unbelievable. So it goes around, and people have, have the understanding and the, and the, um, their opinions. And Joe Torrey, and I'll never forget this, says, Bo, what do you got? And I remember this like it was yesterday. Bo, you said, if it's coming down to the last player, I want you guys to understand, this is the guy I want, player X. I won't even say his name. Player X, this is who I want. And you know why? Because with bases loaded, two outs, I want the ball hit to him if he's in the game. And the reason why I say this story is that that's a winning player, right? That's the guy that has already prepared himself for that moment, but that guy made the roster, and it wasn't because of your influence. It had everything to do with hair men. This is what it's supposed to be if you're going to yeah. be a winning organization. Uh, that to me, and I thank you for it because it put proper perspective on how you evaluate players. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, when you get to the big leagues, obviously you have talent or you wouldn't be there. So now you go to the intangibles. And to me, the intangibles are so important. Uh, and, and I know, and I had a big argument. I had an argument with an analytic guy last year. You know, I still go to spring training and I like the analytic guys, but this guy, he kept throwing his numbers at me and everything. And I said, I'm going to give you a hypothetical. 
we're playing in the sixth game of a World Series, okay? And we're up, we're down three games to two. It's the sixth game. There's a left-hander pitching against the Phillies, and Bryce Harper is 0 for 17 in his career against him with 12 strikeouts. Now, according to you, Bryce Harper should not be in that game, right? And he goes, yeah, he's 0 for 17. I said, how, how do you make that assumption there? This guy's our best player. He's liable to catch a fastball with two men on and hit him. I don't care if he's 0 for 50. Don't, don't give me those numbers in a crucial situation. There's some guys, I don't care what they are. What they, you want them in the lineup. You want them at bat. And he looked at me like I had 10 heads. And the next day he comes up to me and he goes, well, maybe Bryce should play. I said, no kidding. I said, no kidding. He should be playing in that game. <laughs> but it's just stuff like that. Swing that makes me, I, I, I would like to share information with the analytic people. I, I would, I, I suggested this. Get four or five coaches that have been in the big leagues, put the analytics over here, and let's just exchange ideas and explain why we think this, and you can explain why you think that, and, and have a discussion. Yeah. But that never came about, and I don't think it ever will come about. Yeah, there should be balance. We have to have yeah. balance in the game, and, and you know yeah. that more than anything else. It's not uh, puffing your chest. It's not banging no, your chest. You just no, know what right and wrong. Um, This is interesting, Bo, because uh, 2006, 2007, you were in the Yankee pinstripes. Uh, We mentioned Joe Torre, um, but we have to mention, too, Derek Jeter. Uh, What made him special in your eyes? Obviously a Hall of Famer who he was recognized last year. He's going to go in this year. Um, What, in your mind, made him that Hall of Fame player, that winning mentality, night in and night out? I think, Swain, the big thing is his, his consistency of what he did, his work ethic. The same every day. If he was 0 for 4 the night before, if he was 4 for 4 the night, never took time. Always on the field doing his pregame work, knowing who's pitching against him, know what the guy tries to do to get him out. Uh, Being at the right place at the right time all the time. When I had him towards the end there, I mean, it was towards the end of his, he had his his range sort of dropped off a little bit, but he made up for it with, with knowledge. And he could read swings. He could, uh, if, if a guy was out in front of the ball, you could tell when he's swinging, he'd move over. If he was behind, he'd move the other way. Uh, pitchers had no idea how to get this guy out. He squared balls up like nobody I've ever seen. And I told him one day, I said, hey, G, let me ask you a question. I watch how you inside out that ball. If I was a pitcher, I would throw you away, 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 because I think that ball in, you can manipulate the bat. And he goes, mm-hmm. that's what he said to me, he goes, well, can you believe they, they keep throwing me in? He says, that's the easiest position. I said, I cannot believe it because that ball away, sometimes you'll get too far out in front or you'll be behind it. But that ball that's in, in here, you wait to in here and you just push it out. He did that for over 3,000 hits. So <laughs> he's just scratching his head. He said, hey, I believe every word you said. They should pitch me away, but they don't. But he was something, he was something special. He, You know, to play in that city for that long swing, and, and this guy was single at that time. Never, you never saw his name in the paper, you know, in trouble. He was, he, he led the straight and narrow. Everybody looked up to him. He was a great leader in that clubhouse. He would get guys aside. People, you know, he would never scream and yell, but he would, you could see him grab a guy and say, that's not what we do here, you know, in a very low, calm voice, but he was a leader. And, and he knew that to this day, he still calls Joe Torrey, Mr. Torrey. Yeah. That's the kind of respect that this man had. And uh, you played for Joe. Joe's probably the greatest that I've ever coached for. Uh, a tremendous individual. Uh, talk about somebody that that uh, that really gets what he's supposed to do. And Joe Joe fits that mold. Believe me. 
Yeah, the interesting aspect, I, I feel privileged to be around a lot of people in baseball. Uh, Joe Torrey was the guy that I mentioned that had a presence. If there's 100 people in the room and Joe Torrey comes in the back door, you know he's in the room. No question. Um, I think that's an aspect, and it's not arrogance. It's about the confidence that he exudes, but also uh, empowers the people around him. Uh, what yep. did you learn from Joe? I learned, you know, Joe told me, this is what he said when I was in New York, and then I went to the LA. And when he called me on the phone, he said, I want you to coach for me in New York. And he says, but I got a project for you. And he said, the project is Robbie Cano. And I said, okay. You know, and I, I did some research on Robbie. And and uh, Joe said, he, he this guy can hit. He says, but his defense is a little shaky. And he said, Bo, you have him. I will not interfere with one thing you do with him. If you want to bring him, whenever you want to bring him out, you don't even have to ask me. So from day one, Sweeney, I got, I got a hold of Robbie. I said, hey, Robbie, I called him that winter. I said, every day in spring training, we're going out at 8.30 in the morning. Okay? 8.30, we're getting our extra work in. So the first three to four days, Robbie, 8.30, 8.30, 8.30. Now the fourth day, I'm out there, and I'm sitting with the balls, and I got my fungo, and there's no Robbie. Uh, okay. And he's late, obviously. So I, I looked at my watch, 830. I said, I'm out. I'm walking in. He's coming out. He's where are you going? I said, I said, 830, not quarter to nine. I said, I'm done. When you're ready to come out here every day, then I'll work with you. But if you're going to tell me when you're going to dictate to me when to come out, we're not working anymore. So now I know he's mad at me. So now the next day I said, I said to Tony Pena, I said, I don't think Robbie's coming out. He said, why? I said, because I jumped him. And so Joe says the next day, he said, did you work with Robbie? I said, not today, Joe, but I didn't tell him what went on. I said, but he's doing all right. So now I'm saying to Tony, I said, this kid better come out because Joe's going to start. <laughs> so two days in a row, he doesn't come out. And I went, oh, my God. And Joe goes, how'd it go today? And I, I it was okay, Joe. I, you know, I lied to Joe. So finally, if he didn't come out the third day, I had to go tell Joe. Third day, he comes out. And I said, he says, I'm ready to work. I said, every day? He goes, yeah. I said, every day. So then Joe says, how'd it go? And I said, good. And I, I eventually told Joe that story. And he looks at me with that grin. He goes, are you kidding me? Those days I said, how'd it go? He wasn't out there. I said, no, he wasn't. But I didn't want you to lose confidence in me. <laughs> but, but he lets you do. He says, you're the coach. You do what you have to do. And then he says, if you can't deal with it, you come and get me and I'll handle it. He lets guys, he lets coaches coach. And that's, I think he respects everybody in the game. He respects guys, what they do. And I think that's why guys love working for him. And I think that's what fans appreciate, not just that, but the fact that Joe and guys like yourself have maintained a key presence in the game. And it's helped right. shape what the fans have been able to see. Let me ask you this. We hear so much now about the state of the game. And with all the concerns with baseball, it's, it's like a constant drumbeat. What's your evaluation of the current state of the game, pace of play? What do you like? What don't you like? What do you want to see? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't like to say I'm old school, but I, I like a lot of the old school things. I don't like a man on second. And I understand last year. I get it. You know, 60 games, COVID, and, and I might even go for it this year because it's still in the air. But when everything gets back to some type of normalcy, which I hope is soon, I, I would forget that. I don't like that. I don't like seven-inning doubleheaders. But, again, I get it. You don't want to have guys out there 17 innings or 16 innings, come back the next day for a day game. 
But once this thing clears up, I don't like either one of those things. I, I really don't. I like baseball to be played. It's a nine-inning game. They make teams earn the win if it's an extra-inning game. Uh, the, the thing I do like a little bit, I like that you have to come in and face three hitters because, you know, in the month of September, everybody expands the roster to 40. Now they don't do it anymore. And you have a lefty facing a lefty, a righty facing a righty, a lefty face. And that, that just prolongs the game. But uh, I do like the DH because at first I didn't, but I'm watching these pitchers. They square around a bunt, they break the nail. They run the first, they pull a hammy. They slide head first in the third, they hurt their shoulder. So you might as well just keep them off the field. Just, just let them pitch. And I, and I think you get that extra people want offense, you get more offense in there. But I think the DH, I don't know if this year, it sounds like it's not going to be in, but I think after this next negotiation, I'm sure it'll be in both leagues. But those, those, those other two things, they bother me a little bit. Uh, the fact that the players and the owners are, are at odds with each other, that bothers me. Uh, there's no medium ground there that nobody wants to give a little bit. And that's scary after this year. That's very scary for me. I've seen this happen. I've been in a lot of strikes before, and I would not like to see that, especially after what's happened with the COVID, the shortened season, and then going through it this year, and then, God forbid, they strike next year. I wouldn't want to see that. I think it's bad for the game. Larry Boa, boy, 16 seasons as a player, five-time All-Star, a couple of gold gloves, you win a World Series, you're a manager of the year, more than 50 years in the game, still in it, senior advisor to the general manager in Philadelphia. Thank you so much for all of your thoughtful insight and your time. Hey, I had a great time, guys. Anytime you guys want to talk baseball, I'm available. Uh, I, I like to try to make road trips. Obviously, last year we couldn't, but they didn't go to the West Coast. But I would like to go out on the West Coast. And if I do, and especially against San Diego, come on and we'll, we'll talk a little bit. We can go out and have a beer and talk baseball. I love uh, talking baseball. And uh, you get a guy like Sween who loves baseball. Uh, you know, it's it just... It's in my blood and people don't understand. Like today I was out there and, and I'm hitting grounders and Charlie Manuel goes, how old are you? I said, 75. And he goes, are you going to be kidding me? He says, you're still squaring it up on a fungal at 75. I said, I love this game. So, you know, as long as I'm healthy and the Philly's been great to me, I'm going to keep going out there and, and enjoying spring training and enjoying the season. Bo, I know a lot of listeners have heard it. Uh, the passion resonates. And uh, I think I'm one of the ones that is very fortunate to be around a baseball mind like yourself. But like you said, like you said you're a baseball junkie. And, man, that's refreshing to hear. Uh, thanks very much for the time. And you know I love catching up with you. All right, guys. You guys stay safe and uh, have a good year, except when we come out there to play. <laughs> thanks, Larry. Stay healthy. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.